Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We're joined by our friend Pedro Gonzalez, politics editor of Chronicles magazine. A lot to talk about uh, the Trump DeSantis showdown. Tucker gets taken off air at Fox. We don't even have the full story yet, but obviously a big shockwave through conservative media. And then Disney versus DeSantis and corporatism in America today and how it affects the GOP and all of the rest of it. Mr. Pedro, insightful, brave, and always ready to throw down. What's going on, sir? How are you? Well, thank you for that uh, nice introduction. Uh, I'm well, and I'm happy to be back on the show. So tell me, my friend, uh, the what are you seeing right now with, with the Trump campaign? Because I'll start with this one. I... You know, I, I on on the radio show, right, we, we have a mandate, mandate passed to us from Rush that we, we don't endorse primary candidates. But of course, we're going to talk about the primary, talk about what we think, different moves, policies, campaign ads, whatever it may be. Right. We call balls and strikes. And that's what we do on the radio show. But, you know, Trump put out a statement um, that said uh, something along the lines of I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but this is certainly within the spirit of it. Um, Here's like 30 reasons Florida actually sucks. And um, Florida is a place, I believe the quote was a place of destruction and despair and just went off on, on Florida. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, first of all, I live in Florida now, I moved to Florida from New York because of the policies of Florida. And he yeah. lives in Florida and his adult children live in Florida. And every conservative that I know pretty much who can has moved to Florida in the last few years in the media. So I just said, you know, this strikes me as not a particularly uh, good plan of attack. And I get about half the comments on Twitter or uh, something along the lines of, why are you a traitor for D chess, Florida, Florida does suck from a lot of people. Well, what is, what is this going on here, man? What is yeah. this all about? Like try to make sense of, of the crazy here for me. Yeah. Did you like look out your window when you saw that that wall of text about Florida being a place of despair? And did you like check your surroundings? I, I have to imagine how people in Florida actually took that news. By the way, one of the groups that was cited in that statement, um, if we're talking about the same one, was uh, National something or other for affordable housing. It's actually a group that is backed by Soros money. Yes, it's a Soros uh, group. They're, they're, sure. Yeah, it's a it's a nonprofit that's pro transgenderism. Um, 
And that was one of the main sources of information that Trump used to hit DeSantis. So in other words, he, he kind of laundered, I mean, he probably didn't know, but he, he inadvertently laundered Soros talking points about a conservative governor into the right in order to make his point. So, I mean, I think that that was really disastrous, but here, here's the important thing uh, that I found personally, and it, it wasn't really a revelation, but it was just a nice reminder. I was in DC recently. I sat on a panel for the Bull Moose Summit, uh, for the Bull Moose Project Summit, um, and we talked about uh, basically big tech and immigration. We had a lot of really good people uh, that were speaking, people from the American Principles Project, people from Heritage Foundation, um, people from the Center for Immigration Studies, very smart crowd, obviously all very on, you know, on, on this side of the issues, on the right side, in other words. And in the audience, there were people that leaned uh, either for Trump and for DeSantis. And I didn't meet a single person who was for Trump in the audience uh, that came up to me, that approached me and said, I'm a fan of your work. I think your, your criticisms of Trump uh, in terms of, you know, the problems with things like exactly what you opened with, with the, these kind of unhinged attacks on DeSantis or, or taking like the wrong side and important fights just to spite DeSantis, you know, like the Disney stuff or whatever. Um, I didn't meet anybody who came up to me and said, screw you, you know, like Trump 2024. Everyone who came up to me and spoke to me and, and, and basically opened with that, I'm a fan of your work. I, I, I think you're over target on some of these important issues. I'm still leaning pro-Trump. All of them were civil. All of them were super friendly. Uh, they, they were open to a, a views that they didn't necessarily, you know, agree with themselves, but they didn't freak out and immediately start hurling insults. And it's it's just a reminder that like the psychotic vitriol that you see on social media and in particular Twitter, it's it's not reflected in real life. That I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise, but I think it's important to take note of that for people that are spending a lot of time on Twitter, whether it's because it's what they're into or for the, like in my case, it's for work. Um, it's just not reflected in real life. And it actually seems to be like a deliberate campaign strategy. Um, or at least there are influencers who are informally involved with the campaign that have made this kind of their strategy where if you just dissent, you know, if you like the wrong tweet, you're now a traitor and you're subject to all kinds of just unhinged attacks, but that's just not reflected in reality. And there's tons of overlap between Trump supporters and DeSantis supporters in reality, not on Twitter, where every day seems to be like a knife fight in a phone booth to prove your loyalty. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it strikes me that this is, uh, this is an effort that, assuming that, that it is what, what you see it as, and I think it's similarly um, a situation where there's an effort to make, effort to create a, uh, a fear online for people to just say yeah. the obvious, and there's no one... You know, I, I just moved to Florida from New York because of all the good things happening here. I'm going to go along with saying that Florida is a bad place because Trump wants to stick his thumb in DeSantis's eye uh, with, with a statement on Truth Social. No, not going to do that for Trump. Not going to do that for anybody. And yeah. it's remarkable to see. Now, there's some very sort of unhinged uh, Trump surrogate influencers who are running around who are just trying to start fights with people over this. But what they're demanding is is really uh, mandatory stupidity. I mean, th they're demanding not, hey, go along with ideas that are the core of conservatism or else we're going to start to think that they're, they're demanding that you go along with whatever. I mean, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, if Trump came out with a statement that said, you know, abortion all nine months of a pregnancy is a great thing, for example, like we, we really need to change the party on this one. Ron DeSantis 
doing this pro-life thing, really gross, need to do nine months of abortion. We all know that there would be people online saying Trump's right. He's got this. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) Like, I don't know what else to say other than, you know, look, I I would vote for Trump again over Biden. Obviously, I've said that. And and maybe Trump is going to be the better guy at the end of this primary. But the demands for obedience before a primary has even happened, it just strikes me as it's coming from a place of of kind of insecurity and fear from the Trump campaign, which I didn't even think yeah. would really be there, but I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, again, I, I met people who feel the exact same way that basically they're pro Trump, but they think that he's maybe kind of losing his mind uh, with this fight that he, he's got going against DeSantis, but they're still pro Trump, right? And none of them reacted the way that some of these surrogates do on Twitter, where it's just this immediately kind of loyalty test. Um, and, and, and if you don't unflinchingly just accept whatever the new position is, you're a traitor. And I, I think you're seeing this play out on abortion is one issue, but the other ones are obviously these fights with like Disney, uh, the fights over whether or not Florida is a good right. place well, to live. I, I was just giving a hypothetical. You're talking about areas where Trump has actually taken effectively the yeah. Democrat point of view to oppose yeah. DeSantis. And then we're supposed to say Trump is right even though he's taking the wrong yeah. point of view just because he doesn't like DeSantis. Yeah, that's right. And I think the, the Disney one is, I mean, that's probably the most relevant and immediate one is that you you have this, this showdown between one of the biggest corporations in the world and DeSantis. And, you know, this there's a Daily Mail uh, piece that pretty you know, put it really well that Trump took Disney's side just to, uh, despite DeSantis. I actually think there's there's probably a financial aspect to that as well. Like if you look at the, the campaign finances, Disney gave his campaign about ten and a half million dollars in, in the twenty twenty cycle, um, but even that I think doesn't account for the fact that like Trump is seems to be like you said really threatened with DeSantis to the point where he's making decisions that hurt the movement that he claims to represent by forcing them to have to take these positions otherwise you know be hounded by some of these surrogates and stuff. But again. It's actually okay to break with that consensus because that stuff is not reflected in real life. And more importantly, the mandate is more important than the man. So you can still support Trump for 2024. That's fine. But you have to ask yourself, is Trump accountable to anything? Because if he's not, then then you, you basically surrender the mandate that won him the White House in the first place, a mandate that represents the the values of his base and and the political aspirations of his base. So it's I think you have to make this distinction between the man and the mandate. Sometimes the man, you know, aligns with the mandate, but when he doesn't, well then his base has to hold him accountable. And and again, the problem with the what's happening online is that you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to demand accountability. You're supposed to basically just fall in line. You know, Disney's right. great, Florida sucks. Uh, you know, don't boycott Bud Light, whatever. Yeah, you've seen what what seems to me that there is a move now among some who at least are are purporting to speak on behalf of or work on behalf of getting Trump elected, whether they're officially campaign surrogates or not, where it's the whole point is just that Trump wins. It doesn't matter what his policies are. It doesn't matter what promises he makes to the base. It doesn't matter what he supports. The only purpose of this whole exercise for 2024 is Trump win- is, is Trump winning, which yep. to me starts to look like wh- what are what exactly are we doing here? Like I didn't vote for yep. Trump in 2016 because 
I think he's so funny and has cool hair. I do think he's funny and has cool hair, but that's not why I voted for him. I wanted him to do things, right? And so to divorce the policies from the purpose here, to me, just seems... Like, like, what, what are we even doing? It just seems crazy. I mean, yeah. you, know, you might have seen it. Trump's even saying he may not debate because why would somebody who's so far ahead debate? It's like, wait a second. So now he's not going to yeah. go on the debate stage? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's another one of these moments where you have to th- take a step back, you know, step away from, from the noise and just think through the implications of that demand. Trump is demanding that he essentially be handed uh, the, the the Republican ticket for president. He's demanding because he views himself as so ahead of the pack that basically he's above being challenged, which, I mean, that doesn't really make sense because the most viable, or at least the person who's who's perceived as the most viable alternative to Trump, DeSantis, hasn't entered the race yet, right? So, I mean, the, the polls are meaningless, I think, at this point. And D- Trump may well, you know, maintain his lead if uh, DeSantis declares. Who knows? But to basically demand, there will be no debates unless they're run by me. Uh, and in either case, basically saying, like, I'm I'm in control of the party. So everything that the party does has to go by me. That's another one of these moments where you're not supposed to kind of note this, this problem where it's like, wait, Trump is the establishment or the anti-establishment guy, right? He's, he's the outsider. Doesn't really make sense because he was already president. And here you have Trump saying, I'm in control of the GOP. Nothing happens unless I say so. It's like, wait, wouldn't that make him in, at yeah. least in charge of the establishment? The, the, and wait, why is Trump saying that the GOP is the problem? They're all endorsing him. And I he think, endorsed Ronald McDaniel. Yeah, so. I, I think, no, 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 no. Your points are excellent. I, I just would say, uh, to me, there are reasons I'm open to them and I can lay them out for people too, to think that Trump um, would be, a good president again and is perhaps well suited to defeat Biden in the next election. Uh, for me, the biggest challenge in making that case is, you know, what's going to be different than 2020 that's favorable for Trump. And and no one is even trying to make that case for me. Like I, I haven't heard yeah. that anywhere. Trump's not making that case. In fact, the most ardent supporters I come across and whether they're calling me, emailing me, texting me, telling me that I'm, you know, not loyal enough or something. I'm like, Trump and I have a, you know, I've always had a, now I sound like Trump. Trump and I have a great relationship, but we do. I've always got along with Trump. I think he's great. Um, and as a person, we get along very well. Uh, but I'm sitting here and saying to myself, they're not even making that case. Um, in, in fact, they, they, to me, they're making a case that is increasingly incoherent. Like there's a case to be made for Trump, but that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing this incoherence right. about well, he's the, he's going to win because he went he, he's going to win because he won before. And it doesn't matter what his policies are. And it doesn't matter what his policies were the first time around, because he's the only one who can win. And if you don't see that, you're a traitor. That to me, that's just an incoherent mental mishmash. That's it's just nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Trump is the anti-establishment figure who has declared himself basically in control of the establishment to such a degree that no one is allowed to challenge him unless he says so. That doesn't make, I mean, you, you can see the problem with that argument, right? And then basically saying that if I'm, if I even agree to debates, they have to happen under the parameters that I set, which is another way of saying, I don't want to debate. I want to be handed the nomination. And if the goal is to find the best person who can beat Biden, which by the way, I actually, I don't think um, th- this might upset people, but I, I actually think the most likely scenario for 2024 is a Biden victory at this point. I do too. Um, 
I, I, yeah. I've said all, I, I think Biden, people are delusional. And by, by the way, that's even if, if it were a DeSantis win in the primary, I think it's going to be very hard for him to beat Biden. Yes. The Democrat I machinery agree. is well entrenched. It is very serious. And, you know, the, right now, if you look at the campaign apparatus that I see around Trump, I mean, it looks it, it's a lot of clown show stuff going on. It's not good. Yes. Right. And yeah, no, it, I, I agree. So so this is this is my concern is that people seem to think we're just going to run the 2020 playbook all over again or something like that. And I'm like, not only did it, I mean, this is where people get so mad. They call you a traitor for saying that it didn't work in 2020. I'm Joe Biden is the president. Like, I, I can't change the reality of what ended up happening. You know, you can say yeah. that like a team didn't win the Super Bowl, but if they actually got the trophy, won the Super Bowl and had the victory parade, like, does it really matter what you say about it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, looking at this going forward, it's going to be harder. He's an incumbent president yeah. now. Um, yeah, the economy is bad, but there's a lot of blame that they put onto other people. They say that a lot of spending happened under COVID uh, with Trump, and they say that that's what caused the inflation. And that, you know, they lie, right? Like they lie. It's not like we're going to have a a campaign rooted in the reality. I, I want to come back and, and, by the way, I'm glad to hear that other people. I know you are, but other other people are, I think, starting to see that you know talk of like the big red wave in 2024. If whoever the Republican nominee is runs a phenomenal campaign, they are going to win by the skin of their teeth in the six states they need to in order to be president. I think I, I, I don't see that changing in any meaningful way, yeah. but we'll see. Um, I want to tell everybody for a second, we'll come back and talk about uh, Disney and then also the Tucker uh, situation with Pedro here, but you all have helped my pillow in uh, become the incredible company. It is right. They've got all these phenomenal products. I'm sitting here right now in the, my slippers, which are super comfortable, but I got to tell you the Giza dream sheets are phenomenal at the lowest price ever right now. Sheets are coming in as low as $29.98 with promo code BUCK. Giza Dream sheets come in multiple colors, styles, and sizes. Now is the time to upgrade your bedding and enhance your sleep. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square to check out this sale on the Giza Dream sheets. When you click on the square, you'll also find other MyPillow products for a great deal, but only for a limited time. So go right now. Get some Giza Dream sheets, $29.98 with promo code BUCK. Go to MyPillow.com. Again, that's MyPillow.com, promo code BUCK. All right, Pedro, let's, you mentioned the Disney thing. Um, it, without, without getting into the DeSantis uh, or DeSantis-Trump part of this, I think it was interesting. Nikki Haley, uh, earlier in, in the week, came out and basically said, yeah, you know, we'll treat you better. Come to South Carolina. And I'm like, this is not helpful. <laughs> like, this is someone. No. I mean, I, I don't know if that she doesn't understand the stakes or that she just does and is doing its best for Nikki Haley. It might be a combination of both. What do you what did you see in that comment? Yeah, it was very odd because it makes you wonder who is she talking to? Most there was there was a, a Harvard and Harris poll. I think the, the New York Times mentioned it in a recent article about this showdown with Disney. And this poll found that most Americans, when asked basically questions that frame the conflict between DeSantis and Disney as, as basically a contest over who rules, right? Which I think, by the way, that's that's the correct thing. I, I actually, uh, you'll, you'll notice I don't really use the word woke because I think there's there's obviously truth to that, but ultimately this is a question of who rules. Who makes the, like, who makes the laws around here? Is it us? Or is it unaccountable corporations, right? That we have to shower with privileges and things like that. And so when asked that question, framing the question that way, most Americans and obviously the vast majority of Republicans think DeSantis is, is onto something here. 
that actually corporations should face accountability, that corporations shouldn't be able to do whatever they want. And that, you know, when they kind of uh, get ahead of themselves, they sh there should be consequences, their privileges should be revoked. Otherwise, you're saying that we live in a country where the most powerful entities, not even in the United States, but in the world are just beyond any kind of accountability, they can make whatever threats they want. If they don't like a law uh, that, that's, you know, popular, like the, the Parental Rights Education Act, uh, they're allowed to retaliate basically to to do everything they can to overturn the will of of the people that vote for it, um, and so so you have to really ask yourself who's Nikki Haley talking to? Like the only people that that message I think really resonates with, apart from Disney, which I mean maybe that's who she's talking to, right? She wants the 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 um, the donations from Walt Disney or something. I don't know, but the only part of the electorate that I think that that resonates with is like. I don't know the, the most progressive wing in the Democratic Party and like the the libertarians at like Reason Magazine or something. I I have no idea who she's talking to when she says, "I think this fight is dumb and Disney's welcome to move to my state." It just it's so out of touch. It's incredible. But I think that's why you know Nikki Haley's not really seen as like an actual contender. What uh, what do you for, what do you think? Geopetry. You mentioned this. I'm just curious. Um, I feel like a lot of us in politics on the right have at one point or another maybe maybe dabbled in a little bit of libertarianism here or there, you know, because it, it's somewhat seductive to, because you, you're inherently setting yourself up as almost beyond or above the situation. Like, oh, like, we'll just, I'll stand back from this. There's no role in this. Let's just see what happens and let the, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, increasingly, not just in the last few years, I'd say in the last 10 years, it just seems like libertarians have gotten annoying and useless. Am I missing something? Well, I, the reason I said reason libertarians is because I actually think there there are very smart and good libertarians at, at the the Mises uh, Institute. Bas basically, that the I think the Mises people are like the good libertarians, and and they understand that in situations like this, um, Disney's no longer really acting like just you know a mere private business. It, it's basically acting as as a as sovereign a political almost. entity. Yeah. Sure. Yes, that's right. And so so the reason I, I think there's basically a wing of libertarianism that's probably unfortunately identified as kind of the mainstream yes they're the loudest like they're the loudest and most annoying yeah. libertarians well for obvious reasons uh, it's very good to have people like that around right like these people are well funded uh you know they're supported by people like the Koch brothers and stuff for obvious reasons like they're they're basically spokespeople for big business uh they're spokespeople for big business who can basically kind of launder these talking points into the conservative movement. Uh, there, I think Steve Hilton, uh, the Fox News guy, if I'm, if I, I, I never watch a show, I just saw a clip where he basically said something to the same effect, that this whole fight over Disney is just pointless. It, it's, it's like this trivial culture war contest. And you have to wonder, it's like, is that libertarianism? Or, or what is that? I, I don't know what that is. Well, but if well, you actually think... Go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, go, go. You, you, if you actually think, because I just... Go ahead. If you actually think that this is like some silly laissez-faire thing, you know, like let like let like let Disney be. What you're saying again is that corporations should not face any kind of accountability for declaring themselves essentially politically sovereign. Uh, yeah. Which again, and, I don't know. I don't know if and, I would chalk that up to libertarianism or what. Yeah. Well. Well. I also there's also that strain that that strain of we'll say a strain of libertarian. And I have some friends who are libertarian, so I'm just you know I'm I'm poking them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But there's certainly a strain of libertarianism as well that 
that increasingly, I think, as we see what's happening at the southern border, the notion that open borders are fine, no big deal, makes us all wealthier and better off as a country. Uh, this is this is civilization destroying. I mean, this is an insane yeah, yeah. belief, but it, it's great for the donor class that funds yes. some of these individuals and some yeah. of these think tanks, et cetera, to make them think that, oh, yeah, the more people that are here it just means, you know, bigger GDP. It's like, well, what are the costs of the individuals financially yeah. and also to the culture and the society if people just show yeah, up illegal? But, but we're talking about elite, never mind even legal, illegal immigration. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you're talking about civilizational costs, right? You're, you're talking about changing, um, changing the culture. And it's, it's worth noting, by the way, going back to the Mises thing, Murray Rothbard uh, wrote a very good essay called Nations by Consent. And in that piece, he actually argues that, and, and others have argued this, that basically private property and open borders are incompatible for the reasons you just outlined. Like it, 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 it's completely incoherent to believe in the idea of private property, but then essentially throw open the gates of your country and offer to subsidize well, with other people's money. Can we just go a little, can we go a little further this, by the way? Because uh, I'm sure I, I got to read this this piece you just mentioned. By, but you said Murray Rothbard. Uh, I like to take notes. Nations by this. consent. Uh, please, yeah, please, please. Um, yeah, I was going to say texting me, but I don't remember. Uh, we're running this experiment right now with New York City, which I think has been, uh, they're not spending nearly enough time on this. And I know people say, well, that's just a city, but the, the Democrat mayor of New York City, okay, uh, Eric Adams is is pleading for billions of dollars from the federal government to deal with 40,000 illegal migrants in his city. And there's a 10-year yep. backlog on their court cases. So they're guaranteed yep. to be here for at least about a decade before they even have to yep. show up to court. They won't even show up to court. They won't enforce the law about them not. So this is the the whole thing has become a scam, right? But just in terms yep. of the cost, we're always told, oh, they do the jobs Americans won't do. Remember that line? You hear that a little less now. Yes. No, yep. when a woman comes here who speaks no English, has no skills, has no education, with two or three children uh, with her at the southern border, this is a welfare state now. Like, that's what we're yep. actually dealing that's with. Right. That's what we're seeing. And yep. we don't actually have an endless checkbook, which I think people might find out the very, very hard way with the economy in the next six to 12 months or so. Anyway, um, yep. Let's uh, let's come back and, and get into uh, into the Tucker Carlson situation here. But, you know, the first off, yeah. I was just speaking about it. The economy, I really do think it's going to get very ugly out there, friend. They're holding it together with, you know, scotch tape and bubble gum right now. But we saw the bank failure uh, recently, bank failures that required a government to step in. Uh, billions and billions of dollars just seeming to evaporate overnight. Well, what can you do? Gold and silver. Buy gold and silver now as a protection for your portfolio. Now is the time to call the Oxford Gold Group. Just hear what they have to say. The phone call is free. Securing your IRA or 401k with real gold and silver is a portfolio protection plan, and Oxford Gold has made it easy for you. All you have to do is call the Oxford Gold Group today. Get precious metals like I have already been doing for years. Plus, you can ask about additional free bonus opportunities you could be eligible for. Call 833-404-GOLD, 833-404-GOLD. Um, all right, Pedro, uh, Tucker's out. I mean, I, I, I wrote this publicly, so this is not a surprise. I mean, uh, Tucker has had me on a show many times. He's had you on a show many times. We both uh, are clearly professionally very supportive of him. I mean, I can speak personally. I like him a lot as, as an individual. He told me to marry my wife, which was funny because I was already about to propose. But anyway, so I'm, very, I'm, as, I'm about as pro-Tucker um, as, as anyone else you'll find in, in the media. What do you think happened here? Yeah. 
I have no idea. I I I I have no idea. Uh, all I know is that the um, the discrimination suit brought by Abby, whatever her name is, uh, who is alleged it Grossberg, that, you know, she, I think it's I think it's Abby Grossberg. Grossberg, is that sound Grossberg right? yeah. yeah. Basically, the, where she claims that she was bullied and stuff. That what I do know for certain is that that's not why Tucker's gone. Uh, it, it seems like that's a kind of useful pretext for Fox News. Uh, but I'm open to every theory except for that one because that just seems like the lamest. There's also a lot of there's there's also a lot of talk about her claims being unfounded, and there are other people who have worked with her who are saying that she's kind of a terrible person and she she has a habit of like making stuff up. So that just seems like the least plausible explanation for why Fox cut ties with Tucker. I think it's more more likely has to do with the fact that Tucker on a nightly basis, challenged and mocked the most powerful people in the world. I think that that's probably why uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, there, there's an, an interesting kind of footnote here where there was a story in Vanity Fair, I think, about how Rupert Murdoch was really put off by the the kind of theological themes that Tucker would introduce in, into his speaking on and off the, the network, basically framing our political problems as actually spiritual ones and, and kind of highlighting the theological nature underlying political underlying the political. I think that's interesting uh, because of, according to this piece, uh, one, uh, uh, Murdoch's ex-fiance was like convinced that Tucker was sort of like a prophet and it like really put Murdoch off. I, it's such an interesting and bizarre footnote, but I, I think, you know, coming back to, to, what's probably more uh more more closer to the truth is 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 exactly that i mean tucker was bashing the pentagon bashing Zelensky, uh going against the most powerful corporate entities in the world and it wasn't necessarily a surprise uh when after the tucker was deplatformed you had these faceless pentagon officials who were running to the press celebrating about it celebrating that their most formidable civilian critic had been taken off air and so I think that's much closer to the truth. I mean, obviously, there's the January 6th stuff. There's there's talk that basically Murdoch was deeply uncomfortable with with Tucker's reporting on the January 6th stuff with the tapes that he aired on the show. So I think that's that's really it is that Tucker was uh, he, he was flying very close to the sun and Fox News got weak knees and was looking for an excuse to, to get him off the show. You know, on that point about uh, the military speaking out of this, isn't it a fascinating to see how the left, there, there are these, I don't know if you call them like hangover theories or ideas or something, but you know, mm -hmm. let me, let me give you a couple of examples, right? Wall street is Republican. No person who has any understanding of who controls yep. wall street and where the money goes and where the donations and politics go says wall street is Republican, right? I mean, that's, that's yep. preposterous. Um, but but there's still this belief or the, even the Republican Party is the party of the rich over. Look at all of the richest, uh, basically all the richest zip codes in the United States. Ninety percent of them are as blue as it gets. Right. The concentrations yeah. of wealth and Democrat voting allegiance are very, very obvious. Um, but another one is that is that it's the Democrats who will question the military industrial complex, I think, increasingly. Uh, and I, I come from the intelligence you know, apparatus, right? So I've seen some of this myself. And I saw some of this happening even under the Obama administration. I was there mostly for the Bush years, but I was around a little bit in the CIA for the Obama years. And it seems increasingly to me that Democrats view 
the national security state as an ally of their politics domestically yeah. and internationally. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is this is kind of an inherent difficulty with being a conservative in the sense that a conservative identifies with institutions like the military and the national security apparatus, right? But we're in this bizarre situation where Democrats and progressives are actually in the shoes of, of a conservative in the sense that they're conserving a status quo that benefits them and no longer benefits the people who actually identify as conservatives and are only conservatives in the sense that they're social and cultural conservatives. It, it's a really interesting position, again, because the leftists, the progressives, uh, the, the Democrats, they're actually, in a sense, the conservatives because the institutions now serve them and their political interests. And Tucker was someone who I, I think in his, in his own way opened the eyes of his audience to see that. The institutions that you grew up respecting and thinking are on your side, they're not on your side. Your greatest enemies are now domestic. They're not just domestic, they're, they're the, uh, at, at the Pentagon. And you know, I was asked by someone, what do you think his, his deplatforming means for the right? And I said, the right. Tucker was not a, he wasn't a voice just for the right. Like he was, he was the most articulate and formidable critic of the establishment for everyone who's dissatisfied with it. And that's why he managed to capture this particular demographic of, of basically moderate Democrats aged 25 to 45. Tucker would capture a, a bigger portion of that viewership than shows on CNN and MSNBC. Why? Because he was speaking to things that cross the aisle. You don't have to be a Republican to see the problem with a Pentagon that just wages illegal wars, right? And, and just decides that we're going to do this and that around the world. You don't have to be a, a, a Republican or a Democrat to see the problem with, you know, entities like BlackRock buying up homes and driving up the cost of living for people. And I think that's really important um, to, to highlight that. We're not talking about a right-wing pundit here. You're, you're talking about someone who spoke for everyone who was dissatisfied with the status quo. Come back here in a second and talk a little bit more about some of the uh, the fights that we are waging here on the right, including I mean, Pedro. I want to ask you, what is it about the transgender agenda right now that Democrats, it seems, are in some ways more willing to push on this than almost anything else? No matter what, no matter what the pushback is, no matter you know, we saw that we'll talk about Bud Light in a second, but there's something going on here. We want to discuss it. Um, but first, I want to tell everybody, if you want the best, cleanest, most comfortable, closest shave you can possibly get, I've got a razor blade company you need to know about, One Blade. Because first off, the big razor blade companies have been lying to you. Remember, they've actually made fun of this on SNL before. Three blades, four blades, eight blades. It's ridiculous because the blades are cheap. They're not very good. They're not well made. One Blade is super high quality, and that's why you only need one because it gets the job done. It means also less wear and tear on your skin, and it's an award-winning design. So single-edge shaving is natural and effortless. That's what you should be doing. That's what you get with one blade. One blade's handle, by the way, is metal. It's not plastic, so it's weighty. It's substantial. It's something that look good will look good uh, on your sink or uh, you know next to it. All orders have a 60-day return policy, whether you use all your blades or none of your blades. To elevate your shave experience and get 20% off of your one-blade order, go to onebladeshave.com slash buck. That's one, spelled out, O-N-E, onebladeshave.com slash buck for 20% off your first order. Okay, Pedro, let, let me give you an example of this. And I, I give uh, full credit to um, uh, my friend, uh, Jesse Kelly. You know Jesse, right? You've been on Jesse's show. Mm -hmm. Jesse's great. 
Jesse has been pointing this out. Because I've been focused on up to this point, they're lying about the book ban, right? It's not a ban. It's it's yes. what is the list, what is the curated list that your your kids in the third grade and the eighth grade, whenever, should be reading. It's not the same thing as banning, right? Telling saying that you're not going to show an, you know, a a rated R or rated X movie to kids in school isn't banning that. It's just choosing not to show it. So that that's been part of the focus here, right? But there's actually something else going on, which is why is it that the left, the machinery of the left, the Democrat Party, from the White House on down, by the way, they push this stuff, is so interested in making sure that third graders see really explicit and really deeply inappropriate, highly sexual material in books and in uh, lessons in school? Like, what's pushing that? I think it's it's an ide- there's an ideological element, element to it in the sense of like this this kind of permanent revolution, right? It, it can't stop. Uh, you can't just draw an arbitrary line in the sand uh, when you're aligned with I, I, the, the modern left. There's always a kind of crusade, the next thing, the next injustice. And if there's no injustice, then you have to invent one. And so you have to continue creating these these categories of oppression. And transgenderism just seems to be the latest group that's been identified as an oppressed group. And so we've taken a, a tiny, you know, basically until recently, this was considered as, as basically like a psychiatric thing. You know, like maybe there's a tiny part of the population where there's, you know, th- there's probably something where they could benefit from uh, from the application of hormones or whatever. But you're talking about a, a vanishingly small part of the population, right? A kind of like medical oddity. And now it's become something that's not only no longer that, but an, like a mainstream category of identity with a powerful lobby behind it that like you said stretches all the way up to the white house and some of the most powerful pharmaceutical companies in the country and so i think it it's basically this confluence of ideology on the one hand this concept of the permanent revolution you you can't stop on this the the crusade of social justice like you have to continue finding injustices right so it's a combination of that plus the fact that there is this this powerful industry behind it. Um, the Biden administration a while back cited a nonprofit. I, I don't recall the name of it, but I've written about it. There was also a story in the Free Beacon. Um, but it's it's a nonprofit that advocates for basically tra- normalizing transgenderism. And the Biden administration cited a paper that was produced by this nonprofit arguing that these surgeries and interventions are necessary for basically children. For young people, well, that nonprofit had received money from AbbVie Pharmaceuticals, one of the corporations that uh, produces the drugs that are used in the sequence of suppressing hormones before you apply cro- uh, cross-sex. Excuse me, suppressing puberty before the application of cross-sex hormones, and then ultimately these irreversible surgical interventions. So you have a pharmaceutical company that sells the drugs that people take for this stuff funding a nonprofit that then produces research that the White House cites to justify changing the laws. And it, it's the worst possible combination of ideology and interest, the financial aspect of it. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Pedro, um, before we close this episode, and we'll have you back again soon, there's going to be a lot of talk about in this uh, election cycle for sure. Uh, if if you have to pick something that makes you feel optimistic, right? We've it's been we've been a little we've been a little bit of a bummer here. We've been talking about some rough yeah. stuff, That's everything right, yeah. from you know uh, the the primary mudslinging to uh, what's going on with the Disney fight, to, uh, you know Tucker being off the air. Okay, fine. What makes you hopeful? What makes you optimistic? Honestly, going back to what we opened with, the fact that I, you know, the the fact that a lot of this stuff doesn't necessarily have to affect how we interact with and this. This sounds kind of warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't have to interact the way that we, um, the way that we interact with the people that we actually know. I mean, like, our, for me, apart from you know meeting these people when I go to like summits and conferences and, and just having these these nice conversations where you might disagree on who's the best Republican for twenty twenty four there's still a kind of camaraderie. And that for, for me, that's really um, encouraging. And then obviously, uh, I don't know if this is exactly where you want me to take this, but I think it's really important to, to just remain grounded right now. Like I've been trying to spend more time with my wife and kids uh, because there are bigger things than the, the political. And ultimately, all of, a lot of the problems that we're discussing, uh, they can't be fixed with quick political solutions and instead, it, it has to start with ourselves and our communities, our friendships, and ultimately our families. So, oh, no, I think that's exactly where I was hoping you'd go because that is the truth. I mean, no matter who wins the next election or whatever, it is really all just our day to day that we live and to find meaning in it, purpose, and to make it uh, as worthwhile as possible is, I think, the first uh, order of business, even more so than mobilizing to the polls or taking the fight to the commies or whatever it is we have to do. Yes. So well said, Mr. Pedro, right. where should people go to follow your work? Read your latest. You can follow me at contra.substack.com. I've got my socials there. I've got a column at chroniclesmagazine.org. Um, but again, if you want to follow me on social media and keep up with all the stuff that I do, including these kinds of talks, you can go to my Substack at contra.substack.com. Pedro, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 